Welcome to QWERTY Writing Life Podcast, where we have candid chats about our creative lives. This is May. And I'm Joy. For more information about our podcast, monthly newsletter, or author resource series, visit us at QWERTYWritingLife.com. That's QWERTY, spelled Q-W-E-R-T-Y. It's the first six letters on your keyboard. So, are you ready? Grab your tea. Or your coffee. And let's chat. Hello, everyone. It's another week. Hello and welcome. Today, we're going to talk about balancing vulnerability and our memories in our art. That's that's going to be a fun one, Joy. (laughs) (laughs) It's a mouthful. But before we do that, let's talk about our creative weeks. Joy, what did you do? Well, I am very excited to announce that as we're recording this, uh, One Good Thing is all ready to go and to be published. So release day is March 20th, and uh, as we're recording this on a Friday, so this coming weekend, I plan to get all those files uploaded into all the places, so it is ready to publish. And I'm super excited. I can't wait to have the whole collection in my hands. Uh, it's going to be an amazing moment. So there, that will be most of my creative part of the weekend. Um, I've also had some epiphanies when it comes to branding and to uh, my message and to ways to kind of bring together what I offer as a writer to my readers and the whole focus that I've had these past couple of years on really thinking about reader experiences and providing those. So that's been really exciting this past week, just kind of developing that and uncovering that and sitting with it for a little bit and imagining and dreaming um, those Mm -hmm. things moving forward. So Yay. I love that. I love that. I gotta tell you, I'm loving the new videos and reels and things that you're doing on your Instagram page. Um, I watch them and I know what's going on because you and I are, are you and I. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm watching them, I just get like this emotion or and maybe it's not like emotion. Maybe it's, it's just like this whole blanket of comfort. Like your videos and your reels are exuding comfort to me whenever Yay. I watch them. So it's like the music you choose, the way that you choose your transitions and what images and everything that you choose and and what you choose to share. Like, so I don't know if that, now this is something we have not talked about. I don't know if that is your goal, but um, if it's, if it is, it's working. (laughs) Yay. Well, I feel like that's fantastic because what I want is to bring in readers, you know, to come Mm -hmm. to a space where they do feel comfortable and it's, you know, reading should be a comfortable thing. So that's exciting to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. And I have not, uh, I have not like seen them before she posts them either. So it's like an organic consumer experience, which I love. So oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, Yay. Mm-hmm. yeah. I am trying to do more videos. Like there will be a lot more videos in this coming year. Um, I've got a lot of new equipment and new camera that I still am learning. Um, so yeah, it's I'm I'm branching out, guys. <laughs> The whole video thing is not my, um, it is not what I would choose. Let me put it that way. But I'm trying to embrace it and become more comfortable with it and utilize it um, properly. So that's the goal. (laughs) So last five years of recording podcasts and putting them on YouTube hasn't made you comfortable yet? (laughs) No. (laughs) Stern. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) We're there. It's all good. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Well, tell us about your creative week. Well, this has been uh, this has been a really good week for me creatively. Um, I've had some space in the week to just kind of let my brain rest and Um, not that I was, not that my body was resting, but my brain was able to rest. And I I did not 100% realize that that there was a difference, but there is, there's a difference. And um, so, um, 
while I was doing some monotonous thing in my brain, things in my brain was resting in the background, my creativity was sparking. And I love it when that happens. It's like the best feeling in the whole world whenever it's like the world is your oyster and you're brainstorming and stuff like that. Um, the ideas phase is my favorite part of my creative process. <laughs> I know. I love ideas. Um, and it's probably because of the, the fact that it does have an immediate uh, or instantaneous uh, benefit, which is your good feels, right? And uh, and also because it's the most hopeful, I think, of, of some of the stages. Um, and the most hopeful without... Okay, let me back up. The most hopeful with the least amount of fear. So I think that that combination... Oh, yeah really speaks to my comfort zone and to you know like to the to the vulnerability and stuff in me it's like I like to be hopeful I don't like to be fearful and so (laughs) this is the spot right this is the happy place um and then we break out of that comfort zone when we go into the actual creating and planning and all of that stuff and then of course when you put a product out into the world that's where all the fear happens and you have to be like it's okay it's okay everything's fine you know (laughs) so um, so being able to, uh, to be, to think and brainstorm and, and dream a little bit was a good, a good place for me to be. And, um, I'm so thankful too, that it all kind of just happened organically and that I did stop. I stopped and I wrote down things and a lot of times I don't do that. And I feel as if um, I have lost a lot of good things that could have happened um, if I could only remember them. So, <laughs> so I do, um, I am trying to make an intentional effort to stop. And if there is some sort of like poetry line or something like that, that comes into my head to actually write it down and, um, and keep it and hold on to it, it might turn out to be trash and that's okay. But I get to decide yeah. <laughs> if it turns out to be trash or not whereas if I don't write it down there there's no decision that I get to make with that there's only regret and, <laughs> and we don't want that right nobody wants that so I've been writing a lot of poetry lately actually as well and writing that down as that down too and just popping it in uh, I made some folders in my notes app on my phone and so that's generally the, the closest thing that I have to me whenever I um, have these sparks of creativity. And so um, I set up some folders for, for ideas and for craft ideas and poetry ideas and things like that. So I could just pop open the file and dream, which is lovely. And then I can close it and get back to whatever I'm doing during the day, which is also lovely without having to clutter my brain with trying to hold on to that beautiful nugget of an idea and then also trying to do data entry. Which is <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, things like that. But so that's one thing I got to dream. I got to write some poetry. Um, I knitted this week as well. So I've been doing new loom knitting with the boys and I also taught it to my mother. Well, I say I, the boys and I taught it to my mother and my sister and a couple of sisters actually. And this kind of become like this big thing. My mom's now like really heavily into it. And she's like, I'm going to make like football team colors and like sell them. <laughs> like that so I was like okay we went went from I just want to learn something from my sweet grandson to (laughs) the whole world this is venture exactly which is so funny and sweet and I love it um another sweet thing is that uh clay we went to a craft store and uh, my oldest son has um was we we were able to pick out yarn for different projects and stuff and I thought that we were just going to be doing like the knitting loom because this is the weekend that we taught my, my mom and my sisters but he came back with like some big old chunky yarn and he was like I want to use this <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a blanket and like he's like his voice is getting really low and he's like this kind of bit of a motorcycle punk rocker kind of vibe to him. He's got like longer hair. He's got like wristbands up to his forearm and like a pleather jacket with like a hood on it. You know, like he's he's, he's chunky yarn, you know? That's fantastic. 
uh, I was like, baby, I don't think that's going to fit on the loom. <laughs> and he was like, it's going to be a blanket. What do we, how do I make this into a blanket? And I was like, well, um, well, we found a tutorial that we resonated with. And I think it's Marching North. So if you guys are wondering what we're using in order to make these beautiful hats and socks and, and blankets and stuff, it's uh, Marching North. It's on YouTube. Uh, so we found that and it ended up being a double crochet, which is something that I happen to know how to do. And so we've, uh, we, we did that and it's gotten quite big. There's been like another trip to the store to get some more chunky yarn because it takes a lot of chunky yarn to make a blanket as big as the one as he wants. And he's doing it himself. So he, I did the first, I did the first row because his first row was like twisty and, uh, and it, it he, he didn't quite understand and I didn't know how to tell him. So um, I ended up um, with his permission, taking it apart and then doing a row so that he could see what it was supposed to look like and he can continue and we could figure out what the issue was. Mm -hmm. And we did. And it's gotten really large and I had such a good time teaching him and watching him really enjoy something uh, like that. That's so, so sweet. And it's things. time together, you know, plus that. And yes, You've had a great creative week. I love it. Oh, and, you know, oh, in truth, in truth, it's probably been over two weeks. Um, so, because it's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded. So, don't worry if you don't do all of those things in one week, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you get done is good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think, too, like, it, there's always, like, weeks of feast and weeks of famine. You know, I feel like that's the way it goes. Um, just because that's life, right? Right. And there has been so much famine in my life lately, like just months and months and months. And so to have a feeling like, oh, so yeah. good to feel it. It's so good to feel it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. Yay. Yeah. But, um, so we're, these are our experiences and stuff that we have had throughout the week or two weeks or something like that. And we are going to talk about balancing experiences as particularly vulnerable ones <laughs> and, uh, and our memories of experiences in our art. So that is me trying to segue into our topic, Joy. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> you did that very well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about. And this is something that we've touched on in some form or fashion throughout the five years that we've been or the five seasons that we've been doing QWERTY, writing life. And, um, and we talk about it not only in, on our podcast, but we also talk about it in our book um, that we have in our author resource series, the the Finders Keepers, the, you know, the practical approach to find and keep your writing critique partner. And we talk about that a lot because vulnerability and your, your experiences in your life is so integral to your art. And it also makes our communicating with other artists and our communicating with ourselves and our, um, with our relationship to the art that we're producing. It's, it's just huge. It's a huge, huge thing. So we're giving it its own podcast episode today. Yay. <laughs> and because this is a topic founded on deep emotions, we think it's important to begin with the big why. Okay, I love that question, right? <laughs> why should we infuse our memories, emotions, and even vulnerability into our art? Well, the answer lies with our discussion of the great conversation that we're just coming off of. So we just shared these three episodes about the great looming topic and we're going to link to those in the show notes but the answer to our why question today is that when we infuse our memories emotions and vulnerability into our art this is how we add to the great conversation mm -hmm. those unique to us details are how we can add specificity and believability into our art it's in this openness of ourselves in our art that we find our voice and make our writing alive and real. And ultimately, this is how we find the correct consumers for our art, or in our case as authors, our ideal readers. Um, those ideal right readers that Dan Blank mentioned in our interview with him, and we spoke about again in recent episodes. 
And, and I believe that this infusion of personal truth is how we become one of those voices that's heard from our little corner of our conversation. Mm-hmm. And of course, we've had to guard ourselves when we do this because it's if we're not really careful, it may lead to trauma or burnout or even disappointment. So how can we do this safely and effectively? Well, we have five tips for you today, and then Joy and I are going to share some examples from our own experiences as authors where we have, we feel as if we have done a good fusion of creating art from a place of vulnerability and memory and also honored ourselves in, the, in that, you know, experience. Yeah. So our first uh, tip for you is, if in doubt, create, but make it for you alone particularly if you're unsure on how to feel or what to think about the life happening for which you have strong emotions. Good or bad, some things are just personal, um, and you can decide later if you would like to share them with others. Art can help us heal, but the world doesn't have to know about it. Editing yourself while creating because you're concerned about how an audience will respond to your piece might cause you to lose some of the most beautiful art. And also, it may edit out the parts that you need to process to learn and to heal. Mm, Yes. And after you've made something, and if you are still unsure if you would like to share, we would like to give you this next tip. And that would be uh, that we encourage you to share from a place of healing rather than rawness. So if you have experienced something, uh, if you have this vulnerability and you've made this art without considering your, your audience and you're like, hmm, should I share it or should I not? Is this mine? I don't know. Um, it might just not be the right time for you to share it just yet. So maybe you need some more art therapy, if you will, (laughs) to find a place of contentment. The hesitation may be because there is more to process or to discover. And vulnerability doesn't mean letting people watch you bleed out in front of them. That's so important for me to say. And for you, I I hope you hear that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not vulnerability. Um, That's something else that I don't want to talk about right now. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me angry and it's one of my soapboxes. (laughs) We won't get through with this episode in a timely manner if I move forward. But, but I just want to, I'm going to say that one more time and then I'm going to move on. Okay. Yeah. So, so vulnerability does not mean letting people, letting people watch you bleed out in front of them. Sharing your truth always makes you vulnerable. I think sometimes we associate vulnerability with emotional exposure and that can be really unhealthy. So you can share your truths with calm confidence from a valley's crest. You do not have to sob scream it from the bottom of the the valley's floor. Okay. Um, Consider that if you can consume critique um, without mental harm, then it might be a good place and time for you to share your art with others. Mm -hmm. But if the answer is no, then maybe it's not time to share. Yeah. Yeah. And then our third tip for you guys is to lean on a trusted confidant for guidance. Mm -hmm. So if you're wrestling with whether or not to share something in your art, talk over the decision with a spouse or a close friend. Now, this, of course, should be someone you have a deep history with, who knows you and your heart and who has your best interests in mind. Someone who's slow to speak, quick to listen, but who will help you work through your thoughts and concerns. And my fourth tip is to identify products that are heavier to put out, where criticism matters more. So know the difference between, uh, well, between the products that are heavier that are going to hurt more if somebody says something bad about it and the products that you love and you want to make, but maybe they're a little bit lighter. And, you know, if somebody says something about it or about you as an artist, um, just, and it, it's not going to hurt you as much, you know, it's not going to really dig down into those vulnerable places and, and cause, cause trauma there. Um, so just be honest with yourself about it. Is this a heavier product or is this a product where it's a little bit lighter? (laughs) That's great. I love the way you said that. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so the fifth tip is to keep the character's emotions in the forefront using empathy rather than inserting personal past. Um, so this is a case of, you know, instead of actually putting yourself into the story, just kind of empathize with your characters. And you can still pull in all those emotions doing this without, you know, pulling out your own pain from the past. Um, also evaluate why your personal experience is coming into play here. Is it to understand yourself more or is it to fill a commercial need? That is probably not the way to, not the best motivation right there. Um, and also if it's to understand yourself more, like we talked about earlier, you know, art can be such great therapy, but that's goes right back to our tip number one, which was to create but to make it for you alone first, you know, and then you can make those decisions like May said, you know, if you don't put it out there, you can't decide later if it's something that you want to develop and then share. Um, so you do have to create in order to be able to make that decision. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to step back um, to to tip four for just a moment. Mm -hmm. I don't think I shared why it's important to identify if it's heavier or a lighter product. And so I just want to step back for just a moment to that. This is important because you have to decide what you're going to do once this product is out in the world. So if you have chosen to put this product out in the world and it's a heavier product, maybe you already have uh, precautions in place not to read the reviews or not to um, not to check emails with the subject line about that particular product or something like that. Like have have somebody else check those subject you know those emails for you. Um, someone who might be your confidant or you know a partner or something like that to be able to vet the emails and make sure that it's something that is going to be okay for you to read um, and it would only boost you up instead of you know tear you down. So. Um, and then in the lighter products, it's, you know, you're, you maybe it just doesn't quite matter as much. You know? <laughs> and it, I mean, you might like reading your, your reviews or, you know, opening those emails and just laughing about if somebody thought that, you know, the duck in that story was just stupid or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but like, you know, you know when it's going to hurt more and we are, you know, what products are going to hurt more if something happens uh, outside of a particular range and you know, which ones aren't. So just putting those steps in place, um, putting those things in precautions, maybe you don't do interviews about a particular piece or, you know, just being able to plan those things proactively will help you be able to handle that situation a little bit better, especially if it's a product that you know that you want other people to see and to know that they're not alone or something like that. And yet, and yet, so, yeah, great point. Great point. Okay. So to, to give you guys some examples of these things and, you know, they actually might be examples that work with either all five or maybe just some of these tips, but uh, I wrote grief like a river with poems and illustrations. So <laughs> that's this book right here. And uh, it's a poetry book, and it's about grief. So you can imagine that this is probably vulnerable and filled with some memories as well. So there were some times where, particularly with this last, this last tip that we talked about, where I, if I had to pick about like using a specific personal experience or like empathy or or something that is uh, that doesn't outline step by step what happened in an experience or a vulnerable emotion or something like that, or something that caused a vulnerable emotion. But, um, but rather maybe some metaphor where the reader is able to know um, that this experience is a grieving experience in some form or fashion, whether it's death or identity loss, or, um, you know, even just like the death of your pride because you got a bad haircut or something. You know? <laughs> things like that um like you're grieving that kind of stuff and um so some of those things I was able to be really specific about for example um well the haircut then there's another one it's called finder of things where I could just like lay out the whole plot of what happened and uh and it was a bit of a you know it's about grieving the death of, of an identity like a label that I held onto for 
I don't really know why, but ever since a child, like it was like, I could just find things. Like I just knew where things were. And uh, so I was the finder of things. And so you get something like this for an experience that you can use and it can, and you can share it with people without feeling super, you know, torn down uh, or, you know, raw and bleeding in front of people. So, um, also, I turned this into uh, third person because I just felt like it flowed better and it, it told a better story in third person for the consumer. So there's that. This is one of my favorite lines in, this, in the poem. So we're going to use that one because I get to choose. So <laughs> this is where um, it's day one where my keys were not able to be found or the character's keys were not able to be found. And she's looked everywhere for hours and hours, has looked everywhere. And um, it's kind of shaking her whole label of finder of things. So it kind of flashes back to the past a little bit to where, you know, she's always been this. So you, so the reader knows that she's always been this thing. So it says, when she was young, she found a diamond stud earring and the shadowed trench between carpet and baseboard. As a teenager, a friend called her from vacation to see if she remembered in which bag the sunscreen was packed. Her friend had looked through them all. Book sack, she stated, left pocket, under the scarf you thought made you look like Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> so, so those are some pretty specific things, right? And true story, I found a diamond stud earring in the shadow trench between carpet and baseboard in a hallway that was darkened, like the lights, the, the light bulbs were out. So how, I mean, like, <laughs> like a real true event that happened and if you can scatter these things in you know the things that are true and specific if you scatter those things in particularly if you're a writer with some of the empathy and the metaphor and things like that then it does express a true trueness it has a trueness to it and your art is you know definitely yours and real and still vulnerable but um it doesn't have to break you. So, so that's an example of like something super specific that's put in there and is mixing the experience in, in order to create the piece. Um, then to give you an example of where it does matter. It does matter. And I've chosen to use the experience as it was. Um, as it was in my head, you know, as it, and from the memory, the, in specifics, in specifics. Uh, this is a poem called Where Blood Cannot Venture, and it's about the funeral day of my father-in-law. This is kind of, this is really specific. These are kind of actual thoughts that happened in my mind whenever I um, found out, you know, and, and what was happening and stuff like that. And so the situation was, um, was really hard and I loved him very much but this is just like internal truth like specific stuff that was happening inside of me that I felt like I could share but it is still really hard you know but this is me trying to figure out what I'm gonna wear for the funeral pretty or practical pretty or practical the inner debate do I want to wear makeup or do I want to control something even if it's just how much fakeness slathers my face I stare sightless into the mirror. The ticking of the hall clock lulls me until all the numbers have stolen my choice away. I pretend to choose no mask, that I am clear-faced and clear-headed, but the lie throbs in my chest, knowing I conceded to intervals of seconds rather than to conscious choice. I've picked out my husband's suit and shoes and socks and tie and undershirt and Oxford button-down shirt, but now I wonder, should we wear black? He preferred browns and oranges and blues. Surely one of those would be more fitting than an unremarkable, nondescript, characterless black. So, like, that's real life. That's real, like, in the moment stuff that was happening, very specific. And it also kind of shows you how my brain works, too. <laughs> it just kind of picks up from one thing to another. And um, all of this is happening inside my head just while I'm standing in front of a mirror still you know yeah. so that's hard stuff right but it was okay to share because I'm wondering how many people who might read that poem who's standing in front of a mirror 
who's having some very similar thoughts that might need to know that it's okay. So, or at least that they're not alone. So that's an example of harder things sharing specifics of. Okay. So now we're going to go to another poem. This is a poem about um, my dad. My dad has passed away. And so um, he's my stepdad, but he's been my dad since I was three. So he's my dad. This is an example of sharing hard stuff, but rather through metaphor. Because it's too hard for me to share the specifics of this one. So hopefully, um, hopefully it, it conveyed the emotions that were needed to be, that I needed to convey to, um, to have the reader understand that their emotions might also be valid as well but without breaking me in the process. So this is a poem. Um, it's called, I'm glad you're gone, but not for the reason that you think. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so this is kind of our story. Like we, we loved each other very much, but it was a very hard love because we were just so different and it was hard for us to understand each other. And it was also hard for me to understand that you know he had some demons of his own that he was struggling with and um and I'm just trying to grow up here and trying to figure out who I am in life and all that kind of stuff so um so this part of it and what I really want to emphasize is is that the our story this is a story that I needed to share it's something that um that I wanted to share, but I wanted to share it all in metaphor because again, too hard in, in, in particular situations. But it, the important part is the forgiveness at the end. And if you don't know about the beginning, then the forgiveness at the end doesn't make, um, make you understand where the grief is coming from and where all of the love is coming from too. So, and this is um, this is skipping a little bit in the poem too because this one's a rather a long one as well. So where blood cannot venture is long, and uh, and this one is long. I guess I needed a lot of therapy, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, some art therapy there. So I'm gonna skip the childhood thing, and then kind of this is gonna be a little bit of the story from after I moved out. So um, it says, I made a home away from yours. The distance brought some understanding of why you were your way, of why I am mine. We inched toward a comfortable agreement, something that felt like respect. Our minds close enough to shake hands and share a true toothy smile. Was that why you trusted me that night? Pretending my ear was an altar, head down, eyes low, arms slack, rambling of a Decaying forest, but not of a diseased tree. Scared to risk our relationship's brittle foothold, I said only words to blur your staccato. My hasty plan fla flavored your speech with a note of condescension. And when you rose, you left a trinket behind. I tried returning it to you, but you wouldn't claim it. Dismissing ownership in full, so it sat in my lap, this dead, dark thing. I went back to the ordinary, forgetting the oddity in full, until one day its name was spoken. No, it was declared. So you can see you don't know the specifics of what happened in there, right? Because we're using a lot of metaphor. We're talking about a forest, but not a diseased tree. So, so we kind of walked around the, the big main topic, but we never got to the crux of the matter, you know? And, uh, and he didn't want to claim it back and I didn't know what to do with this thing. Right. Until I couldn't ignore it anymore and neither could he. So, um, that is, that's how you can use metaphor uh, in a way that can share the story without sharing the story. Right. And so when you get to the part where we talk about forgiveness, and like what's going on there then you kind of know that this little bit has happened and then we talk about you know bigger things that happened after that and how I handled it and maybe handled it in a way that wasn't awesome 
and it was wrong and uh and how he handled things and maybe they were awesome and wrong um and then something uh un unturned backable happens and then what do you do with all of that so and that's where the forgiveness forgiveness part comes in which is kind of nice that there's hope in everything um so there is that there are also ways that you can be really really specific through metaphor as well and when you're really specific through metaphor and i don't know why i've picked all of the sad things to talk about there are other things in here as, as well um, but um but these were the ones, I guess, because these were the ones that I could identify that were very vulnerable memories and things like that. So um, you can be very specific in your metaphor and also um, and also relay your art super well, too. So when I wrote People Like Nice Soft Things, I um, that's exactly what I found myself doing was it was, it was written in metaphor about porcelain and leather and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and how, what people like is something different than what I've become and that sort of thing. But ultimately, um, I made a decision at the end of that one as well. So this one is written like completely in metaphor, but hopefully specific enough where you can, you can see the stuff, see the, the emotion behind it. Um, people like nice, soft things with fine curved edges, something your eye has to adjust to. Is it real or is it a dream? I am not that anymore. I was a nice, soft vision with surreal rounded edges that people liked but never loved. Something happened between all the death and all the life that broke the smooth lines until I was sharp to the touch and thickened the porcelain until reality resembled a dried leather hide. I mind for a bit, but then I don't. Because if I have learned anything, it's that I'd rather be truth than a lie, a genuine mess than a perfect reverie. So I love that line. That's one of my favorite ones, too. <laughs> I think maybe because it's like a life lesson for me. Um, something that I've I've held on to for for some time. There's one more, and it's called June Fourth, and it's almost like a resolution. And I, I want to share this one only because we talked about um, specifically about the dark thing, the disease tree, you know. Um, and this one is actually a bit of a um, a nice closure to that experience, and. Uh, in a way that I think that like the grief is coming to a place where it's just like, you know what? There's this, this is it. This is the crux of the matter. How it can relate to the tips is that this was solely created 100% created um, for me. It was not created for anybody else. Uh, in fact, all of these poems that are in here were created for me. Um, over a period of time where it was just me feeling things out and uh it wasn't until later and it had it had multiple iterations this this poetry book had multiple iterations where um i continued to write and process and uh and grow in in my grief and my knowledge of grief and understanding knowledge is wrong and understanding of grief uh, my, my grief in particular um and so it wasn't ready and, and I didn't I didn't put out a product until I felt like I had something to say, something to add to the conversation, but also something to um to share about myself too. And so there's this really personal thing that I've put out into the world to add to the great conversation. Um and for me, my addition to the great conversation with this particular book is that um, other people who are experiencing um, hardship in, in the form of grief will be able to to maybe identify some of these things that I've gone through in their own lives faster than I did and maybe even um, add their experience to this because of a comfortable place of knowing that they're not alone, they're able to, to process their own stuff and uh and figure things out 
on on the foundation of my um, emotions and I don't want to say like I don't want to say findings, you know, but but maybe findings is the right word. I don't want to say like lessons I've learned or anything like that because some of these are just really I haven't learned anything and I'm just trying to figure things out. But um, but so that they can they can come to an understanding that grief is love, like it's just love, and it's morphed into something different. But it's really just love because you you loved and you wanted and. You, you don't have that love in the same form that you had it before. So, yeah. So there's that. So this um, is kind of a conclusion, I guess you would say, to the um, I'm glad you're gone. So this is June 4th, which is his birthday. And it was his birthday when I wrote this. And it was, um, I started going to therapy and dealing with things. I finally started dealing with things and it was June 4th and it was birthday. And I was the first day that I felt as if I could mourn. This was years and years after he died. Um, it was the first day that I felt like I could mourn, um, the loss of him without feeling, um, regret and remorse and, and all the other emotions that were clouding the grief. So, um, June 4th, strip it all away, all the excess, the clutter, the cobwebs, move the boxes out of the guest room, throw away the broken things. What is the skeleton of the matter, the story's core? He loved me and I loved him. We loved each other in our own flawed, violent, thoughtless, jittery, fragile, graceless way. And I miss him. There's emotional truth in that with a physical metaphor that the combination of the two for me expressed exactly what I wanted, what I was feeling at that time. It was like, there's all of this stuff that's surrounding the, the theme, the crux, the story, the skeleton, right? Basically what it's all about is that he loved me and that I loved him and we loved each other imperfectly, so imperfectly. Um, but at the end of the day, I just missing. So, yeah. And even though I get like kind of choked up a little bit, even talking about this here with you guys and with Joy and all of our QWERTY audience and stuff like that, even though I get choked up about it, that doesn't mean that I'm not comfortable sharing it. It just means it's a little bit more difficult than talking about like the weather, right? So. That means to me is that, you know, this is important to me. It is something that I've made a decision to share. I've made a decision to talk about with audiences in public where, you know, we speak on, on things like this to like Joy and I speak on, on creativity and creating through grief and all of this stuff. And it's a choice that I've made, but I created it in private and I made a decision um, to, to share it. And as opportunities arise, I do, um, make sure that it's something that I can mentally and emotionally and spiritually handle. And, uh, by keeping things specific when they could be specific and metaphorical when the specifics were too much for me, then I'm, I'm able to share this with you guys here today and with anybody else before or after. So I love, and I love how you used earlier that word proactive, you know, doing these things and thinking mm -hmm. through these things proactively. And I think that that's super important. And that's really what we're, we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And I know I rambled and spun out of control in some of those explanations of the poems, but I guess that's part of being vulnerable as well. Mm -hmm. Um, to, it's not going to always come out perfectly whenever you're trying to explain your art. Um, but, you know, the hope is still there. And the, the hope is still there that somebody who is listening is or who is reading or experiencing these things is going to hear something from the rattling that comes out. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Well, I have two examples to share with you guys of how I feel I've balanced vulnerability with memory as well, um, and a third that I'm approaching now. Um, so first, writing This Good Thing was probably the most emotionally raw writing I've ever done, and a big part of that was the letters sprinkled throughout the story. So the main character, Carolina Burns, has been diagnosed with cancer at the beginning of the book, and she has a young daughter, and Carolina's outlook is grim at best. So she begins writing letters to her daughter for every life situation she could think of that she may not be present for. Um, things like when you fall in love, when you say I do, those things. So what made writing Carolina's story and especially these letters so emotionally taxing for me was my daughter was the same age at the same time. So I was literally writing letters to her as if I were the one facing an, ex an um, approaching expiration date. <laughs> um, I do think that that personal tie made the book and letters more emotionally charged and better all around, but it wasn't an easy task for me to craft that book. Um, another detail I did right, though, I think, with this is I embraced the novella length of the story. This good thing did not need to be longer than that um, because it is packed with joy and life and hope, but it's also packed with grief and pain and loss and it needed to be presented powerfully in a concise format and that's what I strove to do for my own emotional well-being um, as well as for my readers I mean there was I was you know dehydration levels <laughs> in the writing and revising and editing and all of the different stages that you go through so the second example of how I've included personal memories without overtaxing my mental health is through Easter eggs. <laughs> so throughout my books, I've included dates that are special for some reason, um, first or last names of friends and family, things and places with a special meaning. Um, for example, my husband drove an apple red Ford Ranger when we met. <laughs> and that's what a special character drove. Um, there are pieces of conversations or interactions that I've witnessed or experienced. Um, so when I include snippets of my history and my experiences, pieces of me, I'm automatically emotionally infused in the story that I'm crafting without slicing an artery or bleeding onto the page just for the sake of art. When Carolina is thinking about the battle with cancer that she's facing, there's a little scene where she thinks four people's names and those were people who had fought the same battle that she was facing. Well, those names happen to be people who are close to me who have fought cancer in real life. So by using their first names, I was feeling the pain of watching their war. And I was able to channel that grief and pain through my fingertips and into the words that built this good thing. And then my third and final example for you guys is one that's ongoing. Okay, so the second half of 2022 was a season of great loss for me. We lost our sweet Bentley and our favorite chicken. Far more wrenching was losing both of my parents and one of my dearest friends within the span of a few months. Um, sparked primarily by the loss of my beautiful friend Casey, this book that I never planned on began to take shape. And what began as a collection of real-life animal tales recounting the humorous and poignant moments I've had with animals throughout my life has morphed into a memoir of sorts with grief as a central theme. Now, the first draft is complete-ish. <laughs> it is very raw and unfinished, to say the least. Um, as I approach revisions, I'm going to be taking these tips that we've given uh, for balancing vulnerability with memories to heart as I decide what remains in the final version, what needs to be held back, and what I may, might need to add. But in that uh, first draft, you know, I really was editing myself, and I was holding some things back in the beginning of the writing. And I realized, you know, like we suggested to you guys not to do that, you know, don't hold it back, let it all go out onto the page. And so um, that's what I ended up doing. And I think that in the end, it's a much better draft because of just letting those things be there. So now, when I approach the revisions and the edits, like May said, then I get to make those decisions. I get, to, I, it's a choice now. Um, but at least for most of it, it's there and I can decide what to do with it. You're using, you're, you're not putting those specifics in 
as as step by step in your stories, but yet you're you are um, infusing the emotions with truth. What to, to Carolina's story and to Rachel's story, and um, and it's really beautifully and well done too. And so I also love how you are talking about Easter eggs, and I do that too. But I don't know if I've consciously done it where where it was something that was like, oh, I'm going to use X, Y, and Z or something like that. But rather it was something that's like, I'm going to put this is, I'm going to use this there, you know, just as like a personal fun thing where I was like, and this is green or (laughs) (laughs) because it's my favorite color and things like that, you know, just to where it's so it's just part of the creating and like being the maker of the thing. And so I love that you put that to words as well. <laughs> so I just have one reminder and that is that being vulnerable and honoring your experience and memories looks different for every creator, but we hope that our honesty and sharing our experiences gives you courage to explore your own processes. It does not have to look like ours but we do hope that these tips are going to be something that helps guide you as you are um plummeting your inner self and uh and understanding yourself better as you make things and as you make the decisions on whether you're going to use your your vulnerability and your memories in your art and how it's gonna how it's gonna look so yeah that's all (laughs) (laughs) oh Well, give us a QWERTY challenge to send everyone away with. Yeah, absolutely. So the QWERTY challenge for this week is um, if there is something that has happened in your life and you feel compelled to produce art containing that thing, uh, give yourself the option of not sharing and or evaluate why you want to share sometimes as artists and as entrepreneurs and you know people who are really working to um, be financially uh, independent by using art then it seems like sometimes everything is a product or or we feel as if everything that we make should be a product so this challenge is to give yourself the option of not sharing if you're going to make something from this place. Um, And then if you do want to share, just evaluate why. Still make things. Don't stop creating. (laughs) Oh, yes. We can change that. We can change Journey song. Don't stop creating. (laughs) (laughs) Don't stop creating. Still make the thing. Um, But not everything that you create has to be published or available for consumers. Allow yourself to consider not sharing and you can set it aside until you're more emotionally able to make that decision if you can't make that decision right now. So that's your challenge. Yay. That's a great challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we hope you guys have a great week. Yes. And go make something carefully. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Thanks for tuning in. We hope this episode encouraged you. Like all creatives, we thrive on consumer recommendations. So please consider leaving us a review and sharing our podcast with your creative friends. If you'd like to continue this conversation, visit us on our website at QWERTYWritingLife.com or on Instagram at QWERTYWritingLife.